This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the host of Be Brave at Work. I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Our podcast is designed to help people just like you think about and do things a little bit differently in the workplace. I've met dozens and dozens of people over the year who have something to say that they haven't said or need to do something that they haven't done. And for a number of reasons, including bravery, they just have not done it. And so we hope by thinking and talking with business leaders just like you about things they either want to say and want to do but haven't or did say or do and the benefits that that conversation or actions had on their career, that you can learn a few lessons on things that you can do in order to be more effective in your workplace. There's something I'm doing today that I've not done before. And today I am not working with the script. So up to this point in my entries into the podcast, I have scripted out everything that I wanted to say in order to ensure that I sounded intelligent and organized and focused in respect to what I wanted to achieve through the podcast. And I thought in a small act of bravery, I would start speaking at the broadcast without a script. And so today you're hearing Ed Everett scriptless as we talk with a business leader in the Boston area about bravery. To that point, I'd love to introduce our participant today. His name is John Borovka, and he's the VP of Sales for Intellectual Property at a large records management company based in Boston. Hello, John. Good morning, Ed, and thanks for having me today on your podcast, and congratulations on being brave. (laughs) Thank you. You know, bravery comes in all different shapes and sizes, and sometimes it's a big, big step that you have to say or do in the workplace, and sometimes it's something very small, like talking without a script. So thank you. There you go. So John, thanks for joining us today. And as I have begun doing with a lot of our participants, I've been asking them a little bit about what bravery means to them, because I think bravery in the workplace means different things to different people. So as you think about being brave in the workplace, you know, what words or phrases come to mind for you? I think it's having the confidence and having the trust that You need to take the action that's right for yourself and or right for the business that you're in or the business that you lead. I often think, as we were coming up to this podcast, about many times when I have been brave, but probably as many times when I haven't been brave, it's really been around that confidence piece of not knowing what the outcome was going to be, whether it was good or bad, and was that somehow going to hurt you? Yeah, I think all of us regardless of your experience at a company, and I know you've been at your company for a number of years, and regardless of your level, experience opportunities where we could be brave, and we either are, and I think we all have stories about times where we could have done something a little bit differently that required a number of behaviors, one of them being bravery. And so I don't think you're alone. I think all of us have examples and stories of things where we were brave and areas that we could have done things a little bit differently. This thing called confidence that you mentioned, you know, is that something you think you feel or is that something you read about in a textbook? What does confidence mean to you? It's knowing in your gut that it's the right action or you have the right feeling 
or just knowing if you're an analytical person, looking at the numbers, if we're talking about a business and knowing instinctively from your experience and your education or times when you've been in that chair and a similar thing like this has happened, that this is the right action, you know, to say something or not to say something or to act or not to act. You know, often confidence comes with that experience that I think the live living it is where a lot of us get that, or at least in my case, that's where I got most of mine. Yeah, I think a couple of other participants have talked about this kind of feeling in the gut, right, where they just know either because they're losing sleep or it just doesn't go away that there's something they need to do a little bit differently in order to be effective. And you bring up a kind of newer topic, which is sometimes it's not doing something, right? Bravery isn't only about doing something or saying something that needs to be said or done, but sometimes it's thinking about it and deciding not to say or do something. And your belief that not saying something or doing something is going to have a great outcome. Absolutely. And especially in corporate decision-making and meetings where sometimes you can feel like you need to jump on the bandwagon and go in one direction because that's the direction that everybody else is going. It's appropriate to say something, but sometimes it's appropriate to remain silent on the piece. And that sometimes speaks louder than actions themselves. You joined us today to share a bravery story, which we'd love to hear. Thank you. And my story is about, as I said earlier, there's times when I think we all have been brave and there's times when we look back and reflect on moments where we didn't say anything or we didn't get involved. And so the story that I'm going to share is about not doing certain things that now in hindsight, you know, you should have spoken up and you should have taken a different action. So not to be dramatic, though, the story really is about that confidence, trust, conflict, and loyalties on a team that I was bringing together. And so, as you mentioned earlier when you introduced me, I've been a lifelong sales and marketing leader and had the great benefit of being in an organization that was doing a lot of acquisitions and got to experience and learn from how those acquisitions were being done and how people were being treated and how businesses were being brought together. And then at one point during my career, about 20 years ago, we acquired a competitor and they were two heads of each business at the VP level, which is where I was. And I was named the general manager of the combined businesses. And the vice president that had been leading this business unit inside of this company that we peeled out and acquired was named the VP of operations. And our goal was to work together to integrate two similar teams, two competing businesses that were really at each other's throats when we were out in the market competing and actually in two different locations, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast, and work together to integrate the teams and develop one set of standards and make recommendations on how to align the business elsewhere and further. It was a big task, and I had managed people for 10 years prior to this point, but certainly not at this scale and certainly at a much more important level 
of bringing two teams that you necessarily hadn't hired, but were sort of thrust into one. So I felt that it was really important to embrace the ideas and processes on both sides of the business and to make every effort to win the hearts and minds of the employees in the company that was being acquired. And we were in the acquirer position and show that even though we were fierce competitors at one point, there was a level of trust between us and that we understood what the greater good of aligning both of these businesses meant. And really, that level of trust, if you will, is where things began to unravel on this effort a couple months after we got past the formality and sort of the honeymoon stage. So, John, in this particular acquisition, this seemed to be larger for your organization. Was this one of the largest combinations that you had experienced as a leader? Absolutely, Ed. This business was not in revenue the same size as we were, but in terms of people and back office scale, operational scale, was very similar to the size of the business where I was sitting in. You know, my challenges and, you know, I I talked at the beginning about trust, conflict and loyalties was in hindsight, I really felt that not only did I have to show trust for the team and the people that were coming in from the acquisition, but I had to sort of endorse and back this vice president of operations and really show that I believed that He knew how to go do what he had to do and in the integration of these two businesses and not show favoritism to one side or the other. It was an interesting reflection when I looked at it many years later, being able to say, okay, you can trust somebody for their business acumen or you can trust somebody for their knowledge in an industry, but it's sometimes a different thing. When you can say, hey, do I know that this guy is going to go out and execute what needs to be done? And are we being clear of what the outcomes are and what the actions are? I was very much hands off with this VP of operations. He had two directors under him sitting in both locations, east and west, and they were very strong-minded and strong-headed. I think now in retrospect, probably too strong-willed for him to kind of settle often the arguments and conflicts that ensued between both sides on how to make one business. The challenge that led was as I was sort of looking more to the sales and marketing and future revenue side, I had been kind of not ignoring, but checking in every so often with this VP to make sure that the integration was going on, you know, on track as scheduled and not really digging into the details to make sure that things were in fact on schedule. And as time went on, as the months passed, I began to realize that I was hearing rumbling in the organization that things were not as rosy as the VP was making them out to be. And therefore, you know, there was this assumption of, you know, okay, he reports to me, I'm going to not undermine him by going and talking to the organization. 
and I'm going to stand my ground with him. And if he tells me it's going well, then I'm going to assume that that's the case. In retrospect, not interjecting myself more into the day-to-day processes and not being brave about wanting to sit him down and share with him that I was hearing that things weren't going well and that I was hearing that there was conflict below and that it was okay for him almost to be brave or be confident enough to be able to come to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, John. We kind of continue to want to believe what each other was telling the other without sort of digging deep into recognizing what the root cause of the problem was, which was just a remaining pocket of competitive conflict in terms of which operation had the better process and which operation was going to win out at the end of the day. We're going to pause the conversation that we're having with John Barufka and ask you to join us next week when we hear more from John on some of the actions he needed to take in order to ensure this acquisition unfolded well and some of the lessons he learned in respect to things he would do differently next time. We'd also ask you to go to our website, bebraveatwork.com and subscribe to our weekly podcast. Have a great week.